Jeannie Flavelle's Hot Commodity Podcast Series. Empowering clients with commercial intelligence, supply chain expertise, and risk management solutions. Good afternoon, everybody, and happy holidays. My name is Sean Bingham, Director of Risk Management here at McKinney Flavelle, and they are unable to wrestle the microphone away from me. I've changed all the passwords, so I now have complete control of Zencaster. They'll never get it back. So you're stuck with me uh, hosting for at least another week. Today is December 30th, 2022, and welcome to our last hot commodity podcast of the year. Today, I have our own Jeffrey Rosinski, analyst to the stars on cocoa, dairy, and energy. And uh, we are gonna we're gonna stick with that energy theme since it's one of the areas I cover. And then we're gonna let everybody uh, go on with their their holiday vacation. What do you think, Jeffrey? How are you? That sounds great uh, to, to me, Sean. So, and, and happy uh, New Year's to everybody. You and I get the privilege of doing the last podcast for McKinney Favell for the year. We do, and usher in the uh, the, the New Year's with this uh, with this final broadcast. Yeah. Do you have your bottle of champagne next to you? I don't know if we're really going anywhere. I think we're going <laughs> we're going to be on the road today and traveling, and you know, going to get to where we need to go before this next system pushing across the country kind of snarls up the traffic. So, I think that's the that's the plan here. There you go. I'd probably have a glass of champagne with me right now if I could, except I'm I'm fighting off a three day head cold, so I there probably should avoid that. I know. Hey, before we before we jump into uh, energy, because it seems to be what we do on these podcasts, and I know you're a college football man. Let's play a little fill in the bracket. The college football playoff bracket. I like it. Yeah, let's let's start with the Peach Bowl. Number one, Georgia versus number four, Ohio State. Ohio State is getting six and a half points. I wonder when the last time Ohio State was getting six and a half points in a bowl was. It's probably been a while. Uh, anyway, fill in that bracket, Jeffrey. You know, you get late into the season, and I think it boils down to who's that most healthy and kind of mm-hmm. who's you know firing on all cylinders and kind of you know playing at their peak, um, kind of going into the playoffs. But you know, I'm I'm going to go for the repeat here. I'm going to say you know Georgia is going to be you know second year in a row for the uh, the national championship. So I'm going to I'm going to skip one bracket ahead of you and not only talk <laughs> yeah, about the, the, the Georgia ahead. Ohio State, but I'm going to be looking one one step ahead. So okay, well, so between in the uh, VRBO Fiesta Bowl, number two Michigan versus number three TCU, TCU getting seven and a half points. Uh, we already know who's going to win the uh, game after that, but why don't you? Uh, Go ahead and fill that bracket in for us. You know, I, I think that's another good question. I think the, the uh, that uh, that the offensive line for Michigan is fearsome and, mm-hmm. and large, and they play a very physical game. And I just just don't know whether TCU is going to be able to uh, uh, kind of play in that same kind of you know that super competitive you know um, league and, and spirit with some of those you know the power ranked teams. So I, yeah. I think I've got to go with the Wolverines on on that game for sure. So you're going with Michigan on that one, okay? Well, I'm I'm close. I'm I'm uh I'm I'm with you on Georgia, uh, on number one. I'm gonna I'm gonna t- I'm taking the underdog in TCU. Ooh. Uh, I, taking I'm the taking points. the point. Well, I've got I've got some personal. My niece actually went to TCU, and so okay. I'm being from Texas, and it's it's a very small school compared to uh, the folks that they're playing. So anyway, I'm, I'm going to go with that, although I think the odds there are probably against me. But I, I do. Well, let me spin it on you then. Since since, I, since you, you asked me, let me ask you then. So then the final yeah. matchup then, who are you going to go with then? If you've, picked, if you've gone with, with TCU, then against yeah. Georgia, who do you like? 
I, I just I can't see anybody beating Georgia. Even if Michigan wins, I can't see Michigan beating Georgia either. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you on that. Who's who's got the hot hand? Who's healthy? And it seems to be Georgia right now. Yeah, I mean, if, if Bennett is playing well and he's you know got got a high completion percentage, I think that team's going to be hard to beat. I agree. I agree. Well, that's probably not exactly what people are listening in for, but maybe, <laughs> who knows? Maybe we gave maybe gave uh, reason to people to call up the uh, or uh, dial up their their betting uh, apparatus on their phone and place yeah. a couple of bets. I don't know. It's now the, that... it's it's the McKinney Flavel equivalent of the uh, college game day a, a day early. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Well, Jeffrey, I, I, I tend to I tend to mix things up here because they can and they haven't kicked me out yet. So uh, before we get started with energy, I like to kind of plug some of the stuff we got going first before we, uh, people uh, fall out and go on their way. But so I wanted to plug we, in uh, January 25th, we're, I'm doing a risk management webinar uh, and I'm going to focus on the five factors that could affect commodity ingredients next year. So we're going we're gonna to hit on those those major macro topics that I think we're going to all be paying a lot of attention to next year. And then the other thing I wanted to bring up was our uh, spring seminar, April yeah. 26th. And we've got a pretty cool Hollywood red carpet theme. We like to have a lot of fun with that one. And every Jeffrey, I'm, I'm sure you're going to be there for that. Absolutely. Uh, you're doing cocoa on that one, I believe? I believe so. Awesome. So uh, look for a invite for both of those, the risk management. And I think we already sent out a save the date on the uh, on the spring seminar. But uh, look for those. We'd love to see you here in Oak Brook, Illinois, in my backyard uh, in April, if you can make that. So let's let's jump into let's jump into natural gas. Jeffrey, why don't you uh, I think you were going to give us a, a little review and then kind of what you're thinking about next year, what to watch, and uh, I'll just turn it over to you. Yeah, absolutely. So I think in, in plugging that spring seminar, Sean, I think you're wishing the cold weather away and already looking ahead to warmer temperatures in the springtime. Yeah, um, I, I, I try to forget <laughs> January and February as much as I can. Here oh, in Chicago. Yeah. Especially after that shot of cold weather that uh, set so many records you know, that, coming across the country. That was brutal. And I don't yeah. need to tell you that. Yep. Yeah, so I, I figured I'd start by kind of talking about some of the highlights or, or I guess, lowlights, uh, if you will, depending upon your perspective or point of view over this last year. And you could say that the dominant overriding theme this past year has clearly been Russia's invasion of the Ukraine. Um, I know you're going to talk about it, Sean. It's impacted not just natural gas, but uh, crude oil as well. And, and then obviously some of the resulting sanctions that were put in place, some of the increased tensions over the supply of natural gas with its pipelines coming down from Russia into Western Europe via the, uh, the Nord Stream 1 and the Nord Stream 2 pipelines. Um, and so, you know, some of the bullet points or some of the, the, the lowlights, if you will, um, the final approval and activation of Nord Stream 2 obviously did not go through in, in the wake of the Ukrainian invasion and some of the sanctions that were put in place. Um, then following that, we had the explosion here in the United States at the Freeport, Texas LNG loading terminal that, that represents 20 to 25 percent of the total export capacity of the United States for uh, LNG or liquefied natural gas leaving the United States, which Europe was you know, in desperate need of in light of some of the tensions with Russia uh, being their, you know, their largest supplier of natural gas into that region called into question. Um, and then obviously with the explosion and with, with the, uh, the events of Nord Stream 1 and 2 kind of taking place, you had panic buying as European countries were stockpiling um, inventories of natural gas ahead of the winter, you know, cold, you know, colder season when they tend to draw more of that stocks down. 
Um, and then obviously the, the threatening of, of cessation of exports of oil and natural gas from Russia um, in, in response to some of the sanctions that were put in place. Um, then, you know, while we're on the, uh, the kind of the topic of explosions or events, there was the sabotage and the damage that halted activity in the flow of gas from the Nord Stream 1 pipeline. And then, you know, over the summer, prices, you know, literally exploded um, higher up to $9, you know, $9.50 per MMBTU. And so, you know, I think what, what we continue to do here in the United States is continue to track our EIA, our Energy Information Administration, reported weekly inventories of natural gas. We have been trending below both the five-year and uh, the, the numbers we saw last year in 2021, and that's created a, a level of anxiety that's kind of been overhanging in the marketplace. We, in a kind of a perverse sense, kind of benefited from the Freeport facility um, incident down in Texas, because if we're not exporting that amount of LNG, then obviously that, that gas is unavailable to domestic um, users or buyers here in the United States. So I think that kind of capped prices here in the United States. And we saw much more um, volatility and higher prices uh, over, over in Europe compared to what we were witnessing here in the United States. But, you know, it's, it's important to keep in mind that um, if we get a severe winter with a lot of polar vortex and we did get a shot of war, uh, cold weather that passed through the country um, uh, like a week ago, and I think Buffalo is still you know, digging out from all the snow that they had in that week leading into Christmas, fortunately for all of us, it's warmed up quite a bit. Um, the EIA numbers released this last week, just yesterday on Thursday, showed a drop of uh, 213 BCF that, that places us well below the two metrics that I just mentioned, the uh, two, 2021 levels and the five-year average. So as we start next year, um, 2023, I guess the things to watch would be, you know, will this warming trend last or will we get continued shots of cold weather? Obviously, tensions over in Ukraine as Russia continues to uh, launch missiles and continue its aggression toward that toward that area, whether that will continue to you know, put any kind of exports of natural gas or oil from Russia to Europe on, on a hiatus. Continued shots of cold weather, as I previously mentioned with the polar vortexing the restart of that of that Freeport facility, which was delayed because of some of the safety uh, concerns and additional inspections and permitting that needed to take place. But they're due to restart in uh, early January. And that will be um, obviously a lot of LNG leaving these shores going over to Europe. Um, so, you know, the question is, how low will that EIA you know, number be by March time, time frame at the end of winter? I don't think there's any question that there'll be enough gas to get us through the winter time. And that's been reflected in the prices that have that have dropped precipitously down about 50 percent from the highs we witnessed over the summer. But, you know, I think this year is going to be more tenuous with uh, with Europe, you know, starting their exports from the United States of LNG early. And then obviously the last wild card is, you know, China's reopening. They, they seem to have relaxed their zero COVID policy. And what does that mean for, you know, their, their demand uh, move, moving forward? And I think that will impact not just LNG, but certainly on the, on the crude oil, which I, I think you're going to touch on next. Absolutely. Uh, great recap. Um, boy, there's no doubt. I mean, compared to, uh, compared to crude oil, I think, I think natural gas is really going to be the market. It's just going to be all over the show next year. They're just, you know, there's always a lot of factors in every market, but boy, natural gas seems to be really one that could just go either direction. I mean, and, it, and it's reflected in option volatility. We're still in the 100% range of at the money option volatility in the, in the nearby contracts. So that's just a, that's just a crazy number. And uh, I would not want to be, uh, I would not want to be a day trader in natural gas. It'd be 
pretty crazy next year. So let, yeah, let's jump to let's jump to crude oil. I'll, similar situation, like just a little bit of a kind of more of a price review, I guess, for 2022. So the average price for net, for uh, crude oil, spot crude oil last year was 94.95, just just a fraction below 95 dollars. We hit a high of 123.64 on March 11th. And recently we got uh, almost to $71, $71.05 on December 9th. Now that compares to 2021 where the average price of crude oil was $68.18. So that was a whopping 40% increase in the average price of crude oil last year. So, you know, we talk about inflation and we know we know how energy is such a big component of that. When you've got when you've got year over year crude oil forty percent higher, you, you just know everything you buy is going to be more expensive. Looking at uh, a real quick look at gasoline prices, according to AAA, we had the highest recorded average gas prices in the United States last year. Price of regular gasoline nationwide average hit five oh two in uh, June fourteen of 2022 and diesel gas hit 582 on June 19th. So pretty ugly numbers when you're filling your tank up on those days, especially if you're out in uh, California and I'm in Illinois and that's not, it's better, but not a lot better. So let, you know, let's kind of look at, uh, look at what uh, we have ahead. And I'll, I think that there's a lot of big questions in crude oil as well. Uh, world oil demand in 2022 was about 2.5 million barrels a day. Um, there are estimates that that's going to fall off a little bit, 2.2 million barrels per day. We have uh, our rig count situation is almost where we were pre-COVID. And at the end of 2019, we had about 677 operational uh, North American rigs uh, working. And today we're at about 622 as of the latest data. And the real question is is going to get down to, you know, what what's the economy going to look like? Because back in 2019, we were running, you know, we had a GDP level running around two percent. And if you look at like where we are right now, I think it'd, it'd, it'd be safe to say we're we're very close to flat, plus or minus maybe a half a percent in GDP. So there's going to be there's going to be some demand destruction uh, in crude oil. And we're going to have some increases in supply. We are, like I said, we're, our rig count has come up. Um, it has seemed it seems to have flattened off. I think everybody's all, all the all the, the the refiners are kind of on a wait and see approach to see if this recession actually hits in the first quarter. How deep it gets. Obviously, uh, what happens with China, and you know, and the other thing that, that the other eight hundred pound gorilla in the room is the drawdown of the SPR. So. If you look at pre-COVID, the end of 2019, the SPR stood at 635 million barrels, and we are at 375 million barrels today. They were still drawing out about 3 million barrels as of the last reading. So we've got about 260 million barrels just to get it to 635, and the SPR can hold a little bit over 700 million barrels. So that's going to be a pretty bullish factor for crude oil going forward. And, and President Biden, and I've repeated this a few times, has said that the, the area they're looking to repurchase this and resupply the SPR is between $72 and $67 per barrel. They've got a pilot program already in place where they're starting to uh, look at doing some 3 million uh, barrel purchases. 
So that'll be interesting to watch. And I think I think a lot of folks in the market are just waiting for that EIA uh, report to see a zero number or uh, or an increase at some point. So what what does next year look like? If you look at the forward curve, the futures forward curve, twenty twenty three average crude oil price is seventy seven fifty. I think that's a darn good estimate. I was gonna I was gonna put it somewhere between seventy five and eighty dollars a barrel, and that hits it right in the middle myself. So I I'm not gonna disagree with the futures market right now. I think I think that's a, a given given the the soft Biden floor it's you know 72 to 67 that's that's going to be hard to get under we have a lot of a lot of bullish and bearish factors but they are predominantly more bullish than bearish if you look at volatility uh, on the market so implied option volatility for 2023 is averaging about 45 percent and so that means that uh, for next year, about 70% of all the observations we should see for crude oil should fall somewhere between about 43.50 per barrel and 113.50 per barrel. And so I'm just going to kind of go through these couple of these factors that, that are obviously going to be the ones that, that are going to drive that, that movement. Number one, China. And I'm going to put China in the bullish category, although uh, that could swing anyway, because, you know, right now they, they say they're coming off some of their zero uh, zero COVID restrictions. We'll see how long that lasts. We still have a, a lot of winter to get through. And we know the numbers up there, uh, the numbers in China are already climbing pretty fast and uh, globally actually seeing kind of the expected spike uh, because of the cold weather. Again, the SPR, we've got to put another two, 250 to 275 million barrels back in the SPR over the next year or two. Stocks, we're starting our stocks from a fairly uh, low position. We're about 4%, and I'm talking crude oil and refined products in total. We're about 4% from where we, uh, from the five-year average for this time of the year. So we're starting from a little bit of a uh, deficit on the stock situation. So those are your, those are your kind of more bullish factors. Bearish, I think everyone believes we're, ha- we're going we're gonna to see a global recession of some sort. OPEC is certainly is certainly reflecting that in their forecasts for global demand, and uh, one of the reasons that they've they've cut production here recently. But one of the other bearish factors is uh, we are going to get more production. We, we're getting more production online. We're going to get some more refining capacity, uh, we're in, in, and that includes refining capacity for biofuels too. So uh, a couple bearish factors, and then and then clearly. The, the what no one knows is what the situation in Ukraine is going to hold, although I think that's a much bigger impact for natural gas uh, in things like wheat. Uh, certainly, certainly they export a lot of crude oil, but uh, it's really the natural gas market that uh, flow into Europe that's going to be the bigger impact. But, uh, it, you know, who, who's to say where that's going to go? Hopefully at this time next year, that, that whole thing has been put to rest and some kind of agreement has been made. And, and uh, I don't even know, Jeffrey, how long you, how do you know how you fix that pipeline and, and get that, how long that takes? It's probably flooded with seawater at this point. I don't, <laughs> who, uh, that, that, that just, even if they agreed to, uh, to start that up again, it'd probably take them quite a while to get that thing up and running. But uh, that's, that's a big outlier. I think, yeah, the, the biggest, the biggest, what we don't know is are China and Ukraine and they kind of go together. But uh 
Anyway, I think that 7750 outlook for crude is going to be pretty solid. I, I can't see I can't see much below 65 if at all. Uh, and I'm not sure, you know, we, there's a lot of folks calling for $100 crude oil again. Statistically, yes, we could get up there. We get up to that 113 area, but I don't think we're going to spend a lot of time up there. Um, av- average probably 75 to $80 a barrel. Yeah, we'd, we'd probably have to get into a pretty sharp recession or um, see you know, some sort of activity out of OPEC to, to get to those you know, triple digit numbers again. But as you as you said, Sean, you know, with 100 percent volatility and with the uncertainty kind of lingering around the, around there, around the severity and the timing of a potential recession next year. Um, certainly, there's going to be a lot to watch that you and I, I'm sure, will be um, you know, podcasting and commenting on or blogging about uh, in, the, in the months ahead for sure. No doubt about it. And folks, energy is just becoming a major player in a lot of these commodities we, we monitor. So if energy hasn't been on your radar, it sure needs to be because it's affecting the price of corn and soybean oil dramatically now. And the, those correlations are just climbing every time I look at them. I guess that wraps up our weekly hot commodity podcast. I want to thank everyone for listening in. As, uh, as Mike always likes to say, live with an attitude of gratitude. And hey, let's talk next year. Everyone have a wonderful New Year's. Be safe out there. And uh, we will talk with you in 2023. Yeah, wishing you all a happy, prosperous, and healthy 2023. Goodbye, everyone. That concludes this podcast episode. For expanded commentary and more detailed information, log on to McKinney Favell's IQ Ingredient Intelligence platform and listen to our Market Insights podcast. If you're not a subscriber, visit bikini-favelle.com for more information. And as always, follow us on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter.